chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 17 tonight, then finish the chapter. And for those who may be joining us for the first time or uh, haven't been here for the study, um, the Song of Solomon is, is a little book, but it's a book about relationship in the, in the, in the uh, boundaries of marriage, love, intimacy, and relationships. And we're picking up now in chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. After Solomon and the Shulamites last seen together, that is, last time we were, were together, we now pick up here in these verses with a description of an invitation to meet together in the country. And their love continues to grow. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 as we start. And now the beloved's request. The Shulamite woman is speaking in verses 8 through 14. That is, the, the woman that Solomon loves. Verse 8, it says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a, a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. She says, I hear my lover coming. She says, he's leaping over the mountains, leaping over the hills. She says, my lover is like a swift gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he is behind the wall, looking through the window, peering into the room. The words leaping and skip, skipping here, this is the young bride's imaginative way of recalling the joy that she experienced at her husband's arrival. And the same is true of her words for him. She calls them a gazelle, a stag. They are animals that symbolize virility. Windows and lattice here. In other words, Solomon was looking at her through an opening in the wall, through the windows, through the lattice. And she's very excited at hearing his voice. She hears the sound of her beloved's voice. And her sense is this, I can't wait until he gets here. She's overwhelmed. It's overwhelming to her. She heard his voice. She saw him coming, running across the hills toward her like a beautiful, sure-footed gazelle or young stag energetically jumping over everything that is he's doing everything he's trying to get over every obstacle that would get in his way of, of, of getting to her jumping over everything that would get in his way and keep him from getting to his love he loved her so much nothing would stop him from getting to her and you know what that's how the lord our lord thinks of us remember how john the baptist described the lord's coming in luke 3 4 and 5 John said, every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. The hill called Calvary where Jesus was crucified was probably the greatest obstacle, his greatest obstacle to his bride. And yet it didn't stop him. Because you see, his love for her, his bride, us, we, the church, his love for her was so great that that's what enabled him to get over the hill of Calvary. It didn't matter how many obstacles there were between his bride and himself. None of them could keep them away from her. And he would overcome every obstacle, every one of them, and he did. And then she says here, he stopped at the wall of her house and he looked at, uh, at her through the lattice windows. He was excited to get a look at her before she comes out to meet him. And then he asks her, come away with him. 
Let's get away together and let's take a walk through the country and let's look at the beautiful wildflowers and just see nature as it's blooming in the spring. Notice verses 10 through 14 now. And she continues on. My beloved spoke and he said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. She's saying here to Solomon, she's saying this, she's saying, my lover Solomon said to me, rise up, my darling, come away with me, my fair one. He he says to her, look, the winter is past and the rains are over and they're gone. The flowers are springing up. The season, the season of singing birds has come and the, and the cooing of turtle doves fills the air. She says, uh, he says to her, the fig trees are, are blooming. They're forming young fruit and the fragrant grapevines are blossoming. He says to her, rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. My dove, speaking of her, is hiding behind the rocks, behind a ridge on the cliff. He says to her, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. When he says, my love, this is a term of endearment, and it means my dear friend. When he says, my fair one, Solomon describes his bride as beautiful. Solomon and his Shulamite woman, they're on a date. They're out on the countryside on a beautiful spring day. And twice, Solomon says to her, come away. You know, he's doing more than just asking her to go for a walk with him. He's asking her to get away and to leave all the other troubles behind while they spend time together. And this is important for a a couple. It's a way of describing how important it is to make time with each other a priority. When was the last time you went away with your spouse? Think about it. While getting away with your spouse is important, the real importance shouldn't be so much on where you go as much as being together no matter where you go. Now, can you maybe remember a time or times when you went someplace really nice and you spent a lot of money, but you, weren't really st- you still weren't together? You still weren't together. Solomon says to his spouse twice, come away with me. Come away with me is really an attitude of the heart that says, I just want to be with you. I just want to get away and be with you, my spouse, because that's more important to me than anything else in my life. It's more important to me than work, my friends, projects, whatever it might be. And the importance of getting away is letting your spouse know that you'd rather be with them no matter where that place might be because what usually happens you know after getting married is that everything else seems to take priority family life responsibilities work they start to take the priority they're not bad things i'm not putting those things down they are important things but you see all those things hinge upon the relationship between the husband and wife 
And then instead of saying, okay, let's get away, we start to say, well, you know what, Uh, maybe next time. Maybe next week, next month. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it soon. And how many times do we see that soon isn't really soon? How many times has our Lord invited us to come away with him? And we say, well, not now, Lord. You know, I'm, I, just can't, I just can't do it right now. The timing isn't good. And because the cares of this life, they are competing for that time that we really need to, to be with Jesus. And even though Jesus is sovereign, think about it, and the ruler of the universe, he's busy running the universe, but he still wants to spend time with us. And yet he gives us the freedom to say no to him. We have that free will. But you know what? We need to come away with the Lord. Mark 6, 32, Jesus said to the disciples, come away to a, des- to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. No, Jesus said, hey, let's get away. The apostles had just returned from a difficult mission. And they had come back now to report to their master what they had done and what they had taught. The, di- the disciples had a busy life. They had a life of no rest a lot of the time. As a matter of fact, at one time they said there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat. They were so busy ministering, you know, preaching the gospel and healing people. They said, we were so busy, man, we didn't have time to eat. We need to have this time off with the Lord because there's a danger if we don't. Jesus took his disciples to a secluded place so that they might rest after their labors. We know that life can be very hectic with our responsibilities and interruptions. Rest is needed. It is essential to the human body. Rest is not laziness. It's rejuvenation to enable us to do future work. Vance Havner, the southern preacher, said, If you don't come apart and rest, you will come apart. And it's true. We will come apart. We'll fall apart. Even God's servant son needed time to rest, fellowship with his friends, and to find renewal from the Father. The pressure was so great that the only way the disciples and Jesus could get some rest was to get in the boat and to leave privately. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 22, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world, busyness. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Are you ready, like the Shulamite woman, to come away with your beloved? I also see here a a picture of the rapture of the church. Are you ready for that coming away with the Lord, to be with the Lord forever? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout to come up and be with him. Those who are truly in love with Jesus Christ and they long to be with him, they're usually looking forward to his call. They're waiting for him. They're watching for him eagerly and attentively. And these are the ones who will hear his voice. And they will be taken away to be with their beloved for all eternity. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 84 too when he spoke about God's house. He says, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He wasn't crying out 
to be in the building. It wasn't that he wanted to be in the building as much as he wanted to, to be with the living God who said, that's where I'll meet you. It wasn't for the furnishings of the building. It wasn't for the, the building itself. It wasn't for all the ceremonies in the building. He says, my heart and my flesh are crying out for the living God. He wanted to meet with the living God. Do we have that desire? To, to meet with the living God? Verses 11 through 13. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig trees put forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Solomon says, the winter is past. And by this, Solomon means that the time of joy has come. Winter is over, and it's the summer of their love. Solomon may have come at a time of great beauty in the fields and the forests where the young woman lived. He uses the beauty of creation to describe the rightness of time for their love. He says the cold winter is over, the rains have stopped. The flowers and the trees and the vines are blooming. The birds are singing, let's get away. So now Solomon waits for her response. He says in verse 14, she says, she's, saying, she's repeating what he said to her in verse 14. He says to her, my dove is hiding behind the rocks, behind a ridge on the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. Solomon is waiting for a response to, her, to his invitation to her. He's waiting for his response. You know, come, let's get away. So now he's re- re- uh, waiting for her answer. He wants to hear from her. The nature and characteristic of love is that it loves to give and give and give. True love loves to give. See, the world, the world thinks a lot about, you know, love, but, but it's, it's, they, they call it, a, uh, they look at it as a 50-50 relationship. You know, you do 50%, it, it, the Bible says it's a 100% relationship. I am to give 100% to my spouse, and that's not dependent upon how she's reacting to me or how she's responding to me. And that's why a 50-50 relationship, you can have a lot of problems because I'm waiting for that person to to act right with me to be right with me so I can respond to her in the same way but God says I am we are to respond to give our love and our and all that we have 100% and again not dependent upon how they respond to me or how they're not responding to me and so again this, this is Solomon is you know and again true love gives and gives and gives just as Jesus Christ gave and gave and gave and still gives to us today. But I think the greatest thrill in love is when that love is returned. And I, and I don't know about you guys, but you know, when you found that one that you wanted to marry and, and you thought, man, t- I'm going to tell him I love her. I'm going to tell, tell her that I love him. You know, you're wondering, oh, I sure hope they say it back. And, and you're just hoping to hear that, that back. And that's the thrill of it. And Solomon's waiting to hear that response from his bride. See, that person who is in love wants so badly for some kind of response to their words, to their gestures of kindness, to their gifts, or whatever it might be. Hopefully, a positive response. You know, and in this, we can also see how our loving Lord Jesus comes to us with a special request. He asks for a response from us. 
He wants so badly to hear from us. Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, God says, call to me and I will answer you. But notice, you know, you can almost hear his, his cry, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Isaiah 59, 16, God says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. You know, God's heart longs after somebody willing, all right, some willing response from us. He wants to hear from us. He longs for us to get into that quiet place where we can shut out the world and all of our troubles and and turn our attention to him and spend that holy time in prayer. But why is it that we keep him waiting for so long? When Jesus calls to us to come away And to spend time with him, we put him off for whatever reason. Oh, but when we're in trouble and we need a response from him right away, we expect him to answer right away. The Shulamite woman here is still talking about her beloved Solomon. She's just finished talking about his love for her. Look at verse 14 again. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Verse 14 is an intimate scene. It's an intimate scene scene of, of deep affection. It's tender and romantic. She says, so I went with him. And when we were climbing the rocky steps up the hillside, my, love, my, my beloved shepherd said to me, my dove is hiding in the clefts of the rock behind a ridge on the cliff. He said to me, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is pleasant and your face is lovely. In the clefts, when Solomon uses these words, Solomon speaks of the Shulamite woman using a figure of speech describing her isolated home in the mountains. And then all of a sudden, she gives a warning in verse 15. Notice what it says. And she is saying this to her brothers. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. She cries out to her brothers to tell Solomon, catch all of the foxes, these, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. The Shulamites' brothers call on Solomon, hey, Solomon, catch those little foxes so they don't destroy the grapevine. Many times they had seen the little foxes creep into the vineyards that they took care of. And they saw them destroy the roots by gnawing on the roots of the grapevine. The vine of the budding love of the young couple was tender and it needed to be protected from these little foxes. These little foxes symbolize the problems of life that may gnaw away at a relationship. Foxes are sneaky little creatures that play mischievously in the vineyards, destroying the blossoms and the grapes. And as Solomon and the Shulamite woman were taking their country stroll together, they most likely saw a lot of the vineyards that were protected by walls. And the walls would be made up, most most likely, uh, rocks piled on top of each other. And these walls were obviously built to keep out the troublesome little critters that would damage the vineyards, either by damaging the blossoms or grapes, especially by the foxes ruining the crop. 
You see, the farmers were to check the vineyards every so often looking for any kind of openings in the walls that would allow any critters, any foxes to get in, in, into the vineyards, especially the foxes. Here, the Shulamite was saying to Solomon when she called out to her brothers to tell Solomon, hey, get rid of those little foxes. She was saying, we need to build a wall around our relationship to protect it from any damages. And you see, in marriage, we need to build walls around our relationships to protect them. Satan is a very cunning creature. And, you know, we hear, we, we heard, you know, and it, I don't know if you remember back when Mike Pence said, he, uh, President Vice Pence said he never went out with a woman to lunch and they all mocked him. See, he was building a wall around his marriage. How many relationships, extramarital relationships do you know started with somebody at work? Just started out going on a friendly lunch. Or maybe coffee. And then maybe one of them in the relationship isn't all that happy in their marriage. And that person starts to dump on the other person. And then he began to say, well, you know, oh, I just wish my husband or my wife was a, a, as good a listener as you are. And, oh, I wish this and I wish that. And, and guess what? The, 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 there becomes this, they, they start building a relationship between each other. The next thing you know, they're having an affair. But that's what it means to build a wall around your marriage because, you know, th those little foxes, they're out there and they're ready to come in and they're ready to destroy what God has put together. We have to be careful and we have to keep an eye out for many foxes that would try to get in and spoil our relationship. You see, she wanted to build a wall around that relationship to protect it from any damage. They wanted to remove any potential problems. She was concerned that their vineyard, their love, their relationship, their growing, their delightful relationship. She wanted to make sure it wasn't destroyed by these little foxes, these pests. And it's those little foxes that eat away at a relationship. And it's usually the petty things that do the most damage. She says, catch the little foxes. In other words, we need to get rid of the little pests that are always around that will destroy the blossoms in our marriage. And when a couple forgets that fact or ignores it and thinks, oh, it'll never happen to me. How many times I've heard that in marriage counseling? Oh, I didn't expect that to happen. That was never my intent. Hey, maybe it wasn't, but Satan knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's the great deceiver. He's the great liar, the Bible says. When a couple forgets or ignores it, again, they are ripe for an invasion of little foxes into their vineyard. In Chuck Swindoll's book, Strike the Original Match, he, names, he calls them termites. And he names ter four termites that weaken a marriage. Here, Shulamite woman calls them little foxes. But Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, calls them four termites that, that weaken a marriage. He says the first termite is confusion. Confusion over the husband and wife role in the marriage. And boy, has the world messed that up today. Some of the confusion comes because of the worldly misinformation that comes against a biblical relationship. 
You see, in the world, marriage is obsolete. The Bible is obsolete. What it has to say is obsolete. And what the Bible has to say, marriage and the role of a woman and the role of the man, is degrading for a woman to submit to her husband. They tell you that's, that's ancient. They tell you the Bible is out of touch with reality. At first, a husband and wife enjoys a simple, uncomplicated, one-on-one relationship, which is somewhat easy to keep up with when it's just the husband and the wife. But then the children enter in, and we will start raising a family, and the responsibilities of parenting, and the responsibilities of family, and working, and paying the bills, and the trials, all those become a part of our, our relationship. And when that enters, it's all while we're still trying to keep the fire burning in the marriage. And many couples are immature when they get married. Nobody gives you an instruction manual. You you have to learn by trial and error. That's why you need a standard. That's why you need something to go by so that you can accurately measure, hey, how am I doing? Or am I doing it right? And you need to remember... God instituted marriage. God gave away the first bride. He officiated at the first marriage. He wrote the book on marriage and the family. The Bible is the standard. And without a standard, you will always be in a state of confusion. You won't be sure about anything, and therefore you'll do what's right in your own eyes. So the standard is your Bible. It's trustworthy, and it's unfailing. And by turning to it, you will get the right viewpoint, and it's a signpost to follow. And the Bible will help you to turn confusion into clarity. Another termite that will eat away at your marriage is busyness. Busyness. And this is one of the devil's favorite tactics. And how many times do we hear, well, I'm so busy, or I'm too busy. A lot of couples are just too busy. Not necessarily with bad things, but with too many things. When you say busy, here's an acronym for you to remember. Being under Satan's yoke. Busy. Being under Satan's yoke. What happens when we're too busy? We're irritable. Short-tempered. Our nerves are on end, we're impatient, we're tired. And that's a, that's a deadly combination for trouble at home. And being too busy is an enemy of the home and an enemy of the Lord. The next termite is insensitivity. And the results are, I don't really know what's going on. I really don't know what's going on, or, or worse... I really don't care anymore. It's not worth it. The husband and wife both living separate lives. Paul said we're to understand what the will of the Lord is in Ephesians 5, 17. Take a personal inventory with the scriptures and see where you're not in line with the word of God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you. And then the last termite or little fox is stubbornness. 
stubbornness. The Bible says we're to be subject to one another, yielded to one another. Ephesians 5.21 says submitting to one another in the fear of God. Not just wanting things your way, not just giving in or compromising. Stubbornness creates more arguments and conflicts probably than anything else. The unwillingness to, to, to change your attitude, the unwillingness to, to, to give, you know, to, to say you're sorry, the unwillingness to say, I forgive you. Two of the most important words in marriage, I'm sorry and I forgive you. Stubbornness will chase away harmony and peace. So if you have to look at everything you do, and you have to ask yourself, how will it affect your relationship, good or bad? We have to look at everything we do, everything we say, and we have to say, how, man, how is this going to affect my relationship? Is it going to be good for us, or is it going to be bad? Will it cause damage to my relationship? Verses 16 and 17, as we close. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flock among the lilies until the day breaks. And the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a, or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether. The Shulamite again says, My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee. He, she says here, she says, Return to me, my love, like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged mountains. When she says, my beloved is mine and I am his, this expression describes the mutual intimacy that a married couple experiences. Both belong to each other. The words, until the day breaks, here the woman wishes the king to leave for the night. The book is filled with the sense of doing what is right and at the appropriate time. Now, you've heard me say they're married. Now, they are married in the sense of Jewish custom. All right, but they are still not, they have not had the official ceremony. But when you got engaged in that day, you needed to have a, a certificate of divorce to separate. So uh, if I'm saying, you know, she's saying to leave for the night, and yet I said they're married. I get, uh, by custom, they are, they are married, but they haven't consummated the marriage, and they haven't had the, 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 the ceremony yet that, that makes it final. So she's saying here, again, uh, to, to leave for the night. And the book is filled with a sense of doing what is right at the appropriate time. Here she wishes him to flee like a gazelle, but later on she's going to want him to rush to her like a gazelle. Their relationship has come to the point where they are now, where they now know that they were totally meant for each other and their mutual desire was to be as husband and wife. She knows that now. He knows that. And it's all been through this process of this courting and the things that they say and do for one another. You know when you know. That knowing comes in a way that many of us have experienced. And a lot of times people say, oh, how do you know that's the one? It's hard to put in words. But you just say, hey, I know that I know. You know, I knew that when, when, when I wanted to marry. I knew, I knew. I, I, matter of fact, Joey, who I've known for a long time, for over 40 years, you know, um, Back before we were Christians, when I saw her, I told Joy, I said, who's that? That's Kathy Duran. I'm going to marry her. I knew that I knew. 
It wasn't the best. I, I just, I said, who's that? But <laughs> I knew that I knew. And, and almost 50 years of marriage now. But it, it's hard to explain. You, it, God just puts that, that knowledge in your heart and you say, that's the one. That's the one that I'm going to marry. And so, you know, we know that we don't want to be apart any, you know, she's saying here, we know that we don't want to be apart any longer. She wants to be together with her man for all time, for the rest of their lives. All their uncertainty is gone. The, the, uh, she's, re, she's reaffirming in verse 16 the depth of, of, of their belonging to each other. He belongs to her just as much as she belongs to him. They own and possess each other. Their relationship is totally equal. They totally belong to each other in every way. And as Paul says of the marriage relationship, in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, the wife's body does not belong to just her anymore, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body doesn't belong to just him anymore, but also to his wife. But they're not just talking about bodies here but treating each other as whole persons and not just a means of self-gratification. This is the kind of relationship we're to have with the Lord Jesus. My beloved is mine and I am his. Nobody can really come between our heart and the Savior as long as we are determined to be loyal to him. And just as he came to her like a leaping gazelle in verses 8 through 9, he'll come back and she'll welcome him in verse 17 here. So those lonely hours where she's away from him are comforted by the thought, he's going to come back. You know what? And that's the hope that his bride, we, the church, have. He's coming back for me. He's coming back for us, the church of Jesus Christ. And thoughts of his soon return is what helps us be true to him. I'm going to be faithful to him. He's coming back for me. It's what keeps me unspotted from the world, no matter what pressures or temptations we are faced with. We are to endure to the end. Faithful to the end. Because he's coming back. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this beautiful example of love for one another, commitment to one another, Father, a oneness to one another, Lord. For I belong to him, and he belongs to me. He's my God. He's my, he's my groom, as the Bible says, and we're his bride. Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to stay strong and unspotted from this world, Lord as we give ourselves to Christ, as he gave himself for us. So, Father, we thank you for the wonderful salvation that we've been given. We thank the Lord, Jesus Christ, for going to the cross for us, for giving his life for us, because he loves us that much. He gave and he gave and he gave. And Father, may we continue to do for him. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.